0: Welcome to Intentionally Grounded, sponsored by GoRup, simplifying scout teams through simple and direct coach-to-player communication. I am your host Brian Willey, along with my co-host John Kesselring. Episode 30 features the new head coach of Enterprise High School, Coach Rick Darlington. Coach Darlington discusses the keys to a successful transition to a new job, his core values for his program, and his strategies for building rapport and respect with his players. Coach Darlington also installs his single-wing offense and details the different series and complements that he's used to turn his single-wing offense into a perennial power. Finally, coach discusses the troubling trends in football that have emerged at the high school level and offers solutions to help improve the quality of experiences for our players. Don't forget to check out our updated website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it'd be much appreciated if you could leave a review for us on iTunes to help grow our program and share our message with a larger community. Coaches, be sure to check out the South Dakota Football Coaches Association Clinic, hosted at South Dakota State University in Brookings, South Dakota, from March 23rd to March 24th, which features keynote speakers such as Coach Jerry Kill and Gene Chiswick. For more information on how you can attend this great event, go to www.sd.com hsca.org. Episode 5 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Rick Darlington starts now. Coach, introduce yourself a little bit to our audience and share with us why you got into coaching.
1: Wow. Well, I'm Rick Darlington. Uh, I'm the head football coach at Enterprise High School in Alabama now. I have been for about two weeks. For the last 13 years before that, I was at Apopka High School. And so uh, 17 years at Apopka total three in Valdosta, Georgia, and then four or three as the head coach at Eustace High School in Florida. The reason I got into coaching, uh, that's a different story. we uh, I went to college to be a businessman. I went to Stetson University, which is a small school in Florida. Had no thoughts of coaching whatsoever. And when I got done with college, you know, kind of a late decision, but just really thought, I don't want to be a businessman. And so I took, uh, you know, some odd jobs and was just kind of stalling for time after graduating. This is back in the spring of 1988. And I traveled the country some. And as I did that, I I prayed and, and thought a lot about, you know, what God could use me for to be significant as opposed to successful. You know, I've always thought that people that are significant they have an impact positively in the lives of others. That's more important than being successful and having, you know, fame or prestige or things, possessions, money. I really wanted to have a life that mattered, I guess, for more than myself. And so as I thought and prayed about that, I just was kind of feeling God was kind of leading me into coaching. And so, um, you know, uh, when you're a high school coach, you got to teach classes. And back then, you know, there weren't a lot of classes for business pe- majors. And so a lot of things happened, and I ended up going back to my high school where I played, in, and that was Lakeland High School. And so, actually, I was hired as a compensatory English teacher, <laughs> and that was 30, 30 years ago. You know, no English background, but, again, that's God, because I was uh, English was always my best subject in school and I was influenced by lots of English teachers, and so I ended up, uh, you know, teaching English and coaching football under my head coach, Bill Castle, who just won his seven-state title two weeks ago, and uh, has won 440-something games in 43 years as the head coach at Lakeland, so he's averaged 10 wins a season for 43 years now, and so that's been pretty amazing, and so I kind of, you know, started coaching under Coach Castle. I was a a JV assistant head coach, or I'm sorry, JV assistant coach. And then my second year in 1990, I was the JV head coach. And then I coached linebackers and was, I guess, the defensive coordinator for three years with Bill Castle. and After that went on to become a head coach. So kind of got into it a roundabout way, but, you know, definitely wouldn't change the path. I, I got all with the great staff at Lakeland and learned how to coach under Coach Castle, and I'm sure that my career would have taken a different, maybe a lot shorter Path if I hadn't have gotten in with him when I did, Coach. What are some of the core principles and values that you establish within your programs that you've been a part of? Uh, again, that's another good question. Um, the things we we kind of went through this again a couple years ago, and I'll tell you what I mean. You know, we had from 2012 to 2014, we played for three state championships, and we won two of the three, and then. After the 2016 season, we went undefeated in the regular season, but we lost in the first round of the playoffs. And that really kind of shook us off, and I felt like we needed to kind of reemphasize the basics in the beginning of our program. And so what I did was I contacted a bunch of former players. You know, some were in college playing, some were in the military, some were working jobs. But I just contacted former players, and I asked them, tell me five things that the program means to you of Popco football and why you feel that way. Explain the word. And uh, so I did that. And the reason why I did that was I had in my mind what our program was about. But if I asked former and current players and they didn't say the same thing, then I felt like someone was getting missed. You know, there was a disconnect somewhere. I wanted to make sure that, the former players and my current players were on the same page. And so I asked former players, I got some great responses, some stories that would make you tear up about what our program had meant to them and how it helped them become a man. And then I asked our current players and I took all their responses. And so, you know, I got literally, you know, probably, I mean, literally dozens and dozens of responses of five words. And so I had 37 different words that were, that were given to me, and of those 37, I counted them, I tallied them, and there was a definite break after six. And so those six things we came up with as our core principles. And so, again, these are things, guys, that I felt were important in building a program, but more importantly, our players felt like this is what our program was. So I really feel solid about these. And what they are, number one is brotherhood. As Hokahai, we say, it's a great day to die, sacrifice, brotherhood, family. Okay, that closeness is number one in the eyes of our players. Number two was honor, you know, treating people, you know, you know, with 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 integrity and a and in a way that makes them feel good about themselves. Number three was humility. You know, that's not, that's kind of a, a theme that's kind of missed nowadays a lot. You know, where you don't think of yourself, you think of others. You know, and the Bible says, James 4, 6 says, uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so we want our players to be humble and to think of others. Number five, four was discipline. Uh, number five was perseverance, never quitting. And then number six was faith. You know, faith in God, faith in each other, faith in the program, faith in the process, faith in your coaches. So those are the ones. Those are the, those are the six that we came up with over the days. And and what we also did, and you didn't ask for this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, but we came up with a mission statement of what I felt like our purpose as coaches was, and I wrote this down. It says, to build young men who are mentally, physically, and morally tough, those who positively impact others, and to win championships in a manner that humbly honors our school, communities, families, and God. So that's what we're about. Those are our principles, and that's what we build our program on.
0: Coach, now you've recently taken over the program, like you said, at Enterprise High School. Um, so as you're going through this transition process, what do you believe are some of the most critical tasks a coach must address early on in their transition period?
1: Well, the first thing I've been working on is getting coaches, you know, because you've got to bring in some of your own. you got to keep some of the previous staff. And then once you get everybody there, you got to get them all on the same page, which is those guiding principles again. And so I uh, – that's been the number one thing is to have the men to lead the young men. And that's where we are now. And then the next thing is we're just going to go to work, you know, because sitting around in an auditorium or a classroom and telling them these things really isn't the way to do it with young people today. You know, we got to get in the weight room and we got to go to work. We got to learn how to lift, why we're lifting, kind of learn how to work and strain and sacrifice and to be tough. And so that's kind of where we're about to start here and about, in about two weeks in Enterprise in Alabama. Those are the things I think that come up first, is uh, getting everybody on the same page with the same goal and then to learn how to work to achieve that goal. Coach, you've talked about it. you're starting over in a new program. What are some of the techniques that you've used already in the first two weeks to help build and earn the respect of some of your players? Well, I haven't really done that here because I have, I've only met it once. I've texted with some of them. Uh, you know, and just talk about very basic things. But, you know, I think respect is just, you know, being the same person every day and demanding a high standard of them. You know, that's one thing I learned with my sons. My, my oldest son played center in Oklahoma. He was an all-Big 12 player. He coaches for Oklahoma now. My second son, uh, they both were All-American at the high school. My second son, is uh, he was a quarterback at uh, Nebraska, and now he's graduated and working And so with them, you know, I knew they wanted to be great, and so we set the bar very high for them. But we didn't treat them like they were way below the bar and going to get there eventually. We treated them as they were already great. I think if you coach people to a high standard, they're going to achieve that standard if that's what they want. And so that's the thing that we'll do in Alabama is, you know, we'll set the bar high and we'll tell them what the goal is, and we're going to push them every day. We're not going to accept less than their best, and. That's going to make them uncomfortable because people in general, kids especially, they don't want to be excellent. They don't want to be great. You would think everyone would. Like if I were to ask you, hey, guys, do you want to be great? You might say yes, but when you really think about it, most people don't want that. They want to be comfortable. They want to do just enough to be comfortable and get by, and that's the enemy of greatness. So to be great, to be excellent, we've got to really push them out of their comfort zone and make them uncomfortable, and uh, hopefully respect will come with that. (laughs) <laughs> but whether respect comes or not, success will come with that. I'm sure of that.
0: Coach, you're known as one of the, the premier coaching minds when it comes to teaching the single wing offense, and that's one of the things that drew us to you, among others. Uh, what influenced you into committing to the single wing?
1: Well, it was really simple. We didn't have a quarterback. <laughs> we, uh, we, in 2006, both my quarterbacks left. One graduated, one transferred, and going into the 2000 seven seasons I had no quarterback in sight and so someone suggested the single wing and I'm embarrassed to know, to say I didn't even know what it was <laughs> and so I uh I googled it like every good American does I, I hit google and uh and I and I saw some film and literally guys it was black and white film from like the 40s of guys in leather helmets you know no face masks uh, every team wore dark colors. no one wore a light jersey, mud fields. And I was just watching this stuff, and I'm just mesmerized by it. i think this is freaking great. And I go, if I did something like this, I'll either get fired immediately or, you know, we'll take it off and be legendary. <laughs> because it's like, no one's going to do it. I thought, no one will do this. If we're great at this, no one will follow us. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to be a trendsetter. I wanted to be a, a trend breaker. I guess you'd say. And so nowadays, when everyone's running the uh, the spread offense, that's a great offense. And if everybody ran the single wing, I'd probably run the spread. But uh, if, uh, if, if we have an advantage, it would be that we're different.
0: Coach, your version of the single wing is more unbalanced along the offensive line, but you also ingrained some spread concepts into your offense as well. So with that in mind, what are some of the things you look for in your players when determining where to place them on offense?
1: Well, I think with the single wing, it's a system that we kind of created after studying, you know, several different single wing teams. I really didn't want to be exactly like any of them. I wanted to kind of make up our own system, and that's what we did in 2007. But it's very specific about where players play. You know, we take our best offensive lineman and we play him at the outside tackle. You know, we take our best runner and we put him at the tailback. We take our second best runner and put him at the wingback. So. Every position on the offense has got a very unique skill set and is very specific in how we do it. And so we're looking for very unique qualities in guys and, and that's kind of good the way we do that, you know, because we can uh, we can we can we flip flop the line and the skill guys they have a unique position and so they can kind of become experts at that position. And then we do teach our back to learn and the line to try to learn two or more positions. So like if the if the wing back goes down, you know, you may have your second tailback going you know, at wingback instead of the, uh, the second wingback, depending on your talent situation. So every, uh, every job in our offense has got a very unique, I guess, job description. So I can tell you, like, both tackles are not the same. Both guards are not the same. And so we're looking for something specific in each position on the line and in the skill position.
0: Coach, your power, counter, and sweep schemes have been kind of a hallmark of your offense throughout your run at Apopka. What are some of your teaching points, like specifically on your power scheme, that helped make it so successful?
1: Well, the power series, it's going to be not as much deception, more just straight action. We do use some key breakers, but uh, that's the most basic theory. Sometimes people will come to me and want to put it in a single-week package, in their offense, and if so if they want to do that, I suggest the power series because it's the most personal. You know, it's the one we wanted won the most championships running. The spin is really a curveball, where the power series is a fastball. And so with the power series, you're going to get extra blockers because you're going to have, you know, the H-back and you're going to have the fullback leading most plays, and so you're going to get a lot of lead blockers, whereas in the spin series, that's a little more deceptive you know, with the full spin action, we have key breakers with that, too. But the difference is you're going to lose two blockers. So that's what I make sure people know is the power series isn't quite as deceptive or, or fancy-looking, but it's got a lot of meat at the point of attack, whereas the spin is going to be more deceptive and flashy, but you're losing two blockers because the tailback and the wingback are always, and the pullback, two of the three are always going to be either faking or, or running, not blocking. So, again, they serve different purposes, and I'll always run both. And so, um, you know, I think that as time evolves, we're trying to get a little bit more into the option game out a single wing, and we're trying to get a little bit more into the throwing game. You know, we threw more this time this year than we have in the last several, you know, just because we had a, a trigger man that could do that. We had a tight end that caught, like, 700 yards worth of passes. So, again, we want to utilize our talent, but – definitely want to continue to increase our efficiency in both the passing game and the option game in the years ahead.
0: You brought up your spin series. What, what are some of the things you do to, to rep your spin series during the, the week for practice? And then what are some of your teaching points to make sure that that spin series is something that can deceive defenses and get a lot of yards for you?
1: I think it's just aiming points with the backs. They've got to step with the right feet, grab with the right hands. and Faking is crucial in that series really more than anything else. It doesn't change anything for the line. You know, the line. If you call a play, it doesn't matter if you call a spin in front of it. It's all going to be the same. But uh, the backs have just got to be willing to fake, carry out fakes. Whereas in the power series, they're blocking more, and the spin series, they're going to fake more. So again, that's just a hustle thing, a want-to thing, a desire thing, and so that's what we've emphasized there. So that's really the main thing in spin series.
0: And for coaches looking to learn more about the single wing, what clinics do you recommend attending, or, or what coaches have been really influential in helping you learning uh, the single wing offense?
1: Well, that's the thing. There's really not a lot of us out there, and, and so I, I don't really have anyone else to recommend, you know, who, who runs it. More and more people are not running it now. You know, I, I left the Popkins, so I don't think they'll run it as a base offense anymore at all. They might run it as a series or something. And then, because uh, they they didn't hire one of my offensive coaches, and then uh, and then uh, Haggerty, which has run the single wing, their coach retired, and then they hired another guy who's not going to run the single wing. So the two teams in Central Florida that ran it are no longer running it. And so again, I, there's not too many in Florida around the nation. You know, Stonebridge is very successful out of Virginia running it. You know, there's some other teams that run it. Benomy of Michigan's always done good with it. So. Not too many teams. You know, I've got a website, CoachRickDarlington.com, that it's got a lot of stuff out there, you know, teaching tapes, where you can install it off the tapes. It's got diagrams, film, and teaching. So they're, they're helpful. And I've helped teams in the summer where I'll go and, and uh, install the offense for them for three days. You know, So a lot of people, like I've done anywhere from five to 12 of those in the summer where for three practices I'll put the entire offense in for your guys. So we've done that. You know, and a lot of people come visit us in the spring. I'm sure they'll do so in Alabama. They'll come down and watch spring football and, and see how it is, you know. So that's, that's kind of the way to do it. If a, I don't really have a lot of people I can go talk to about single-wing because I don't really know anyone besides us that really runs the way we run it. You know, so it's kind of, kind of difficult in that area.
0: And, and, Coach, what are some of the things that – so you've kind of evolved your single wing offense as things have kind of gone forward here. Uh, have you added some, you know, spread concepts with it? Like have you added some jet sweep to kind of like supplement your offense? Or is there anything that you've really changed? Or you've remained pretty traditional with your single wing?
1: Um, I don't know if we're traditional because, I mean, is there, there a traditional single wing? I mean, I think the single wing is an orthodox in itself. But uh, we're always trying to tweak and make it better. You know, we don't ever just say, well, we did it this way since 2011. We're not going to change it. But, I mean, I'm looking to change it literally every day. You know, I met with my new staff up in Alabama yesterday, and we watched film, and we were on the board coming up with ideas. And so we're always trying to, like, make it better. You know, and like you said, with the spread concepts, if I've got a team with a bunch of good receivers, I want to use them so I'll spread out a little bit more. But we still try to keep the running game and the core principles of the single wing with our gap schemes, our traps, and our sweeps. We want to keep those the same. So basically we want to add effective passing and option game to it without changing everything we do within the offensive line with the run scheme. Those have been pretty good, pretty unique over the years.
0: Coach, you've been in the system, and you've been in, in high school athletics for over 20 years, coaching at, again, various positions. Uh, what do you believe is the biggest issue facing high school football in our country today, and what ideas would you have for remedying the issue?
1: Well, I think number one is the concussions. You know, obviously people are crazy about concussions. And um, we started using those Guardian caps several years ago, and they'll seem to the help. You know, they also keep the paint on your helmet where we hit so much to knock all the pain off our helmets. But the guardian cap's been good for concussions. But, you know, my son suffered several concussions in high school that, you know, really knocked him out of his senior year. And the thing that I, I think is the unsung uh, things about the concussions and, and potential head injuries, number one, a doctor told me this, the teams that hit the least get the most concussions because they're not used to the contact in practice. It's like, if you want to learn how to tackle effectively and safely – well, then you better tackle and practice every day. You can't go out there in shorts and practice one day a week in pads and barely tackle and go out Friday night where that ball carrier is not going to slow down for you. So You've got to be used to tackling and doing drills full speed. And then the other thing is this, I think that neck strength is vastly underrated. You know, I mean, when I was in high school, we did the neck machine every workout, and I don't think that's happened as much. And so... When you look at a concussion, a lot of it comes from the whiplash of the blow, not just the blow to the head, but the, the, the whiplash of the neck and the head going back and forth from the force of the blow. You can get a concussion without being hit in the head is if, if your neck snaps the right way, it's like being in a car accident. And so I think that we've got to go back as, a, as a coaches and, and work the neck strength and to be able to tackle full speed in practice and get a lot of people to make the rules about, practice time and how much you can be physical and all that, they haven't played the game or coached the game at a high level.
0: For the parents and players and community of Enterprise, uh, what should they expect from a Rick Darlington coach team, and what expectations do you have for your team entering your first season?
1: Well, I think that we're going to play with, hopefully play with this one on the field and have this one off the field. I hope we'll play hard, we're top, and we're physical. You know, and one of the best things about my time at Apopka was You know, we won several championships, but I think that the faculty administration in the town really loved and appreciated us because of the way the kids behaved off the field. You know, I had a lady send me an email one time, um, and I've gotten dozens of emails like this, but this one stands out. She's a longtime teacher at Popka, and she said, The reason it's so easy to root for your kids on Friday night is because you can root for them in the classroom on Monday through Friday. You know, because our kids sit in the front row and they wear ties to school on Tuesdays, and they say yes, sir and no, ma'am. So hopefully, we're going to do things with honor and with discipline and with humility, and uh, and that's what you know you want to have as a team, not only on the field, but off the field too.
0: Coach, we have a tradition on the show um, where our last question that we ask our guests, and it's Coach, if you had a walk-up song as a professional baseball player or a professional wrestler. What would yours be and why? A oh, wrestler.
1: Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, that's something I'd have to prepare for. For goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, so, here's what we'll do. I'll go ahead and do this one. I'll give you this one. We'll go with Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. There we go. Because, number one, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. And then, number two, is everybody knows that we're going to run the ball And uh, we're going to try to win games that way. So board to run seems to fit both personally and professionally for me.